You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance and learn a little bit of Zen along the way. All right, we are leaving the pool in the Zentron Mobile Studios, and had some cool stuff happen last uh, couple days. It is November 26th, starting November 26th. Uh, man, my swim this morning kind of sucked. It was, I felt flat. And I do not know what's up with that. Why that happens some days. That'd be cool to know. It's obviously like an energy depletion of some sort. Some sort. And I figured out something to, to help you watch videos while you're on your uh, computer, on your bike trainer. So we'll get to that in a second. And uh, we'll do a preliminary news flash on Ultraman. Yesterday was the last day. It's a three-day race. And our buddy Rob Gray got second. And he uh, he won last year. So he's the he's the former champion now. And the guy that won is a former prof- professional triathlete. And Rob was never a professional. He might have been if he started earlier or whatever. He's just a really, really good age grouper. And that that uh, illustrates the theory. Um, you think you're good until a pro shows up. <laughs> you know? It's like... I, I give a terrible example. You think you're an orthodontist until an actual orthodontist shows up. You're like, oh, yeah, we could probably uh, straighten those teeth and get that all worked on and cleaned up right there. And then somebody that actually knows what they're doing, even way more than you, even if you're really good, brings a gun to a knife fight. So how do you beat a former pro? And I don't know. That's, uh, that's pretty amazing. So anyway, good job, Rob. I really liked in his, in his videos um, that he posted on Instagram uh, the footage of his kids because Kai was the exact same way when he was their age, running around, acting silly, really more interested in his Hot Wheels cars than anything else, and is just happy to be there and having a good time. So that's uh, Robo Ultra on Instagram. You can look back through some of the stories. He'll probably do a, a race review on the Slow Twitch forums, which I'll read about later on and uh, give you a diagnosis of of what he did uh, from my perspective and experience, what he did right and what he said he, uh, he needs to do differently. Um, He, a couple of years ago, when he, I think he got second. I don't think he, I, I think he wasn't winning. He got like second and then uh, 
he said his legs hurt really, really bad on the downhills on the run. And I, I also do uh, trail running, lots of uh, uh, off-road ultra trail stuff. And so I listen to lots of podcasts about that. And Ian Sharman, who I've actually interviewed for this podcast, he's the uh, he's a record-holding uh, off-road ultra tra- uh, trail running god. In a podcast I was listening to uh, that he was a host on, he said that to fix that problem, you're running a lot uh, at once and your quads are just killing you. The downhills start to hurt really bad from the banging. He said that's, um, a lot of people know this, it's eccentric muscle loading, which is like sudden, which is actually different. So even though it's the same muscles as going uphill, they're loaded differently than downhill. And if you don't practice it, it can wreck you really, really bad because it's different, especially over a long distance. And to fix it, all you have to do is run downhill really fast a few times, like a few workouts. Uh, before your race and that will bang up your quads so bad it'll hurt so bad but they heal really quickly and then you'll be a whole lot uh, stronger and then uh, and tougher so then during the race uh, Boston Marathon is like this the Hawaii uh, Ironman has sections like this Uh, the Ultraman definitely has this uh, net downhill and that's what makes them so hard, people say, is by the end of it, your quads are killing you because the downhills start to hurt. And that's usually where you'd get speed, right? But again, just do some fast downhill running. So I was talking to Rob and I said, Rob, uh, I heard you mention that your quads were really killing you on the, uh, on the run part and it was kind of slowing you down. Go to, um, go to a steep hill and run down it a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, so that you eccentric load those muscles. Just be careful not to break your legs or get a stress fracture. And load up on the downhills, run them fast, and you, uh, your legs will be tougher next time around. And he went and did that, he said, and then he went and won Ultraman last year. Isn't that kind of cool? So we'll uh, we'll get some stuff like that from Rob about what he thought uh, and that he could have done better. He said that uh, uh, he had a rough patch at some point during the bike ride on day two. I'd like to know what, what led to that. Was it going too hard? Was his fuel mix bad? Was it um, too hot? Not enough water? You know, all kinds of reasons like that. All right. And all that stuff, I love uh, finding out all that stuff and then sharing it with you all so that we can all get a whole bunch faster and just have a really nice uh, nice race day without any drama. Wouldn't that be nice? Have your perfect day. See how fast you could actually go. Now, <clears throat> another thing. I was uh, riding Zwift yesterday. 
I did two hours and I averaged 262 watts for two hours, which was really, really nice. I was doing this thing where I never stopped pedaling. Uh, years ago, I used to ride a fixie for about a year or two and you can't stop pedaling on a fixie and i rode this thing as my training bike like you know, 50 mile rides so three and a half hours something like that on a road bike where you can't stop pedaling and it's really difficult at first but then after a while you kind of figure it out so i was really enjoying the challenge on zwift i was like you know what i'm gonna do this whole ride without pedaling without without coasting and uh and i did and it was nice <laughs> It was really cool. Um, I think my average heart rate was 135. There's a cop pulling somebody over, which was good. And then I went out and did a brick run for an hour. And I only averaged a 10 minute mile then. I was kind of having to wash my feet. But I really wasn't into riding my bike. I just wasn't motivated. And I was like, what can I do to get motivated? I'm like, oh, you know, well, let's watch some YouTube videos. And so I put on some YouTube videos, uh, but I really want to ride Zwift for the variety and the, the ups. I just talked about in the last podcast, the up, up and downs and all this stuff. Gives you variability, which uh, makes your ride better for you. And I was like, okay, let's load these videos. Let's, you know, watch a video. And then I, then I put it, the Zwift came on and then I'm pedaling along and I'm trying to get, <laughs> I'm playing around with, I've got a mouse, a wireless mouse uh, hooked up. Um, so that, and the whole thing's uh, sent to a, a big screen TV, uh, HDMI out. And I shrank the YouTube video down to a small, decently small, and then put it, uh, in the lower center of Zwift over my guy, my guy that's biking. I put it over him. So now I'm watching the challenge which is an Ironman competitor. I'm watching the Challenge Triathlon uh, World Championships. <laughs> I think it was a half Ironman. Um, and I'm watching that as a video inside Zwift, like on top of Zwift, because, uh, well, I found it like really cool. It actually was working really nicely. I was enjoying it. But the problem is, Oh, and it's not, it's not, it's easy. Like you can totally tell there's a hill coming and there's, you know, change up. And if you're not really like trying to draft people, if you're riding a triathlon bike, then it doesn't really matter who's exactly like right in front of you and all that stuff. But anyway, on, uh, well, I'm trying to find a parking spot <clears throat> on the video because I was watching it in Chrome on a MacBook Air. And in the video, the you still got the URL bar and any kind of like, I know you can get rid of the bookmarks bar, but the YouTube, the top of the YouTube window too, will not, would only go up so far. So it's like a, a whole lot, a ton of useless margin at the top of the, um, the top of the video feed that I'm trying to watch in this small box on top of my Zwift. I know this is uh, mega first world problems, but I'm like, man, there's gotta be a freaking way to fix this. And there is, and I thought I'd share it with y'all. I was looking around uh, everywhere and found a show, <laughs> this is so cool. You right click on the YouTube video and a box comes up with like 
YouTube kind of stuff, like, uh, I don't know, copy URL, send to a friend, you know, blah, blah, blah. Move your mouse off of that box and right click again a second time on the video. Up comes a different set of options. And as far as I know, this is, this is in the, this is on a Mac. I don't know if Windows has something similar, but for, uh, maybe it's, you know, Chrome or I don't know what's going on, who, whose software actually does it, but it says it gives you different menu choices. And one of them is called picture in picture. So I click that it sends the video to a full screen box with nothing around nothing else except the video. And it's resizable up to a point, like pretty decent size. And you can drag and move it all around your screen. And then on top of that, it stays on top. So if I click on another program or, or you know, internet browser or something like that, the video stays on top. So you can, I tested it with Zwift. You can take, you can open up Zwift, start running it, take a YouTube video, do this method, and then put the YouTube video on Zwift <laughs> so that uh, you're watching a video um, of what you want to watch while the uh, bike riding is getting actually boring. And that is my tip for the week. And also, it's a great way, uh, if you're having to do work that's uh, boring and there's a YouTube video and watch at the same time, then you can uh, do it anywhere. You know, it doesn't have to be on top of Zwift. You can do it on your, uh, on your spreadsheet or whatever you're working on. Uh, you're entering stuff in the training peaks and um, you're trying to think of what's your next workout, kind of planning things out. You can have a little video popped up of top 10 tips from GTN on how to make your triathlon bike more aero or something like that and be watching that at the same time. All right, that's it. I got to go inside. Got to get some W to the ERK done. All right, out, bang. All right, we are back. Got a bunch of little things going on today to help you with. Let's see. It was uh, just below freezing today in Fahrenheit in Texas it was uh, 30 degrees which is nice and chilly if you're not that used to it and oh can I make it can I make it yes I can make it and I have these really cool pair of running gloves I looked for them for years they're not exactly perfect what I want but they're pretty good they are made by defeat uh, d-e-f-e-e-t like victory and defeat but about your feet <laughs> which is a really good uh equipment company makes all kinds of good stuff and they're highlighter yellow i actually had to order them online i looked around for them in running stores for years i live in kind of a small town so we only have one running store uh, that's a, a legit really good running store and i've never seen them there so i finally got around to order them online because if you wear highlighter yellow or you know orange or whatever the high visibility color on you uh shirt's pretty good because that's viewable from all sides but uh something that's really nice is if it moves more than just on your torso so like for example on your bicycle if you've got lights on your spokes of your wheel or on the rims of your wheels where they spin they say that that's actually the best thing that uh, vehicles see is the spinning wheels uh, really gets their attention 
because all that highlighter stuff, all that high visibility stuff is uh, showing at a much higher color uh, than normal. So cars are like, whoa, what's that? And then they see you, which is the whole point. Uh, so on your hands, your hands are actually bouncing up and down while you're running quite a bit. That's And uh, your feet are also a good one as well. But uh, your feet are kind of down low. <laughs> kind of down low, that like majorly down low. Uh, so your hands are a little bit higher, so that kind of helps a little bit uh, so vehicles can see you. So that's a nice little upside right there. And they are made out of some kind of dry wicking fabric, which I really like. Uh, if you want some quick, really good running gloves, go to, uh, we have Academy here, which is a cheap, uh, it's huge, but it's a cheap uh, hunting lifestyle, activewear kind of, they got treadmills and crossbows you know i mean it's just like freaking everything and um glove liners which are made out of polypropylene i think uh they wick all they are is just wicking and they wick really fast and they work uh, your sweat as soon as they get damp with your sweat they work on your phone and all that stuff but anyway so i was running this morning in my uh yellow gloves feeling pretty badass i posted a picture of it on instagram uh how much i love these things i just wish they were a little bit softer they're kind of they're not soft, which would be nice. I wish I had the uh, glove liners material in highlighter yellow. That would be perfect. But anyway, uh, another thing is quite a while back, my AirPods were getting messed up from all the sweat and stuff. And I tried to clean them and I, I like totally botched cleaning them and messed up one side so bad that it was pretty much useless and let's say you have airpods apple airpods the wireless ones and you uh you lose one or whatever you can order just one it costs 70 dollars, 75 dollars after shipping and what's great is it shows up in like a day or two at most by uh ups i think is how they sent it it's a little bit of a hassle. They try to get you to send your other one in to work on it and all stuff. And you have to argue with them and you go, no, it's toast. And then so <laughs> the last time this happened, uh, I, uh, eventually I, I learned that this time when I did it and I, I needed a new left one because it was, uh, the sound wasn't balanced right and all this other stuff. I mean, it was just terrible. And, oh, and the battery was lasting half as long as the right one. That I just tell them right from the start that you lost it. And so right from the beginning, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I lost it uh, in a sewer, and I'm not going back for it. So it's gone. And they're like, okay, well, we'll try to send you. Because they want you to go to an Apple store and all this other stuff. They're trying to be helpful, but whatever. So I uh, got my new AirPod in. Everything's all balanced. I'm feeling I got battery life finally. My my uh, left AirPod was only lasting uh, like 45, 50, 50 minutes, uh, which was suboptimal, as Chrissy Wellington would say. And uh, last week I ran a bunch, but I ran. And I'm trying to re- I'm trying to recover from injuries. Uh, plantar fasciitis is officially gone. It seems to be 100% gone. Uh, and I just need to be careful and I've still got this pain in my right heel and 
I just need to be careful on that. But uh, what was great, what's been really great is one thing I learned to help heal faster from all this was actually uh, plantar fasciitis is a, man, that is a touchy one. You got to be really careful with surfaces and rolling in and stuff like that. But along with sleeping in a night boot, which only costs like 30 bucks on Amazon, look it up, a plantar fasciitis night boot. That's the number one thing. It looked like the other thing I needed to do to heal was um, uh, more cross training to strengthen up stuff. And what I found that worked really well was standing, standing and pedaling on my bike. That beefed up and strengthened the surrounding muscles that uh, took that now take um, some of the load off uh, the muscles that were injured now that they can handle it better and I was thinking about it while I was running this morning I'm like man you know what led to that and happening and what happened was I was training for an Ultraman and I was just doing tons and tons of running and we had just moved about a year before half a year before to a new neighborhood and it's all concrete and it's all like the sloped nasty stuff so it's like two there's no variability in it you know and so as i was getting tired and doing tons and tons of training i was hitting 20 22 24 something hours per week of training and as as I was getting tired and running on this on these same nasty, ugly surfaces uh, of just monotony and hard, I uh, was I guess it's a repetitive use where just not enough mix. And over the past uh, year, moving back to this other neighborhood that I used to live in was is hugely beneficial. It's taken a long time to get over the injury to the point where I can actually do this. But the roads uh, like that I ran this morning that I'm super excited about being back on, um, it's very, very low traffic, very low traffic. So I can run in the middle of the road, on the left side of the road, right side of the road, anything that I want. And it's asphalt, which is softer, and it's got a crown to it. So if I run down the middle of the road, it's generally flat, but there's just constant little undulations left and right, forward and back, tilting forward and back, you know, which is nice. And then the other thing is if my right leg starts to get a little worn out, if one side starts to get a little bit more worn out, I can switch to the other side of the road. And this is my training tip for the podcast is uh, make sure that you mix up sides of the road, uh, surfaces, terrain, all this stuff um, to get overall variability and kind of beefed up and you'll find that it helps uh, prevent injuries. And what I found was running like this, it was so much easier to transfer over to a trail run without actually running on trails very much um, because the, the variability and the change and everything just kind of even things out. So anyway, today was a breakthrough run for me as far as injury recovery. I ran one of my very old routes uh, that I used to run before I got injured. I ran that for my best Brett, a little bit slower pace, but for injured Brett, uh, 
recovering from injury, Brett. A really good pace. I was running. I ended up running like a nine twenty-five or nine twenty. Yeah, if it was on flat ground, that gap grade adjusted pace. Then it was a nine twenty-five, let's say, and without trying, without pushing myself, which is awesome. So there was all that. And I was running left side, right side. Nothing was bothering my uh, plantar fasciitis. Nothing was bothering my calf, which is the heel calf issue being uh, tight overnight. Oh, and the other thing is for months, years now, a couple years, I've had to warm up to get ready to run, you know, to loosen everything up. Um, and I didn't have to do that this morning. I just started running. I've noticed that uh this thing where I've got to like get on the bike and pedal for a little bit and then run a little bit, very slow motion to kind of get the whole body warmed up so I can just run at all because my body was just so damaged uh, is now uh, was gone this morning. Hopefully it's, it's gone uh, for quite a while. And so I'm super, super excited about that. So that's all breakthrough run stuff. And the more I run, the better mood I get in, uh, you know, anti-depression kind of stuff. And then also, um, I just wanted to mention real quick, uh, people are curious about hours per week that you can train. And last week was 13 hours on the dot, which was only two hours of swimming. Um, usually I swim three hours, but we were on the road, which means that was... 11 hours of uh, bike and run, and I bet it was probably six and five. It was probably six bike rides, six hours of bike riding and um, five hours of running, which is pretty nice. I don't have those, I I think I ran 30 something miles, very low 30s if over 30, if, if much more than 30. It was either 30 or 36 but anyway about 30 miles and then um, the rest of it was biking and I don't have an accurate uh, bike mileage because I was on my mountain bike a lot which is uh, significantly slower than riding a road bike but it was a good time all right that's it I gotta go into W to the ERK out bang all right we are leaving the pool <clears throat> sorry I had something in my throat there was eating a uh, Met RX bar. I told Emily to get me an RX bar. Here comes a diesel truck, Texas. I asked Emily to get me some RX bars. And uh, when she was grocery shopping, she came back with Met RX, which is a, I really looked at the ingredients, but I'm assuming it's a chemical shitstorm. <laughs> That's all caught in my throat, but it's my post swim workout snack refuel anyway got a couple of little comments on the swim today usually I swim with a, a beep timer so that I stay on a pace and today I decided not to took the timer off so because because last night I had a kind of a poor bike ride I was uh, swimming and or biking and just felt weak my numbers were kind of off hold on I gotta open the car And there's a guy that's really famous, a triathlete, 
he won age group for Kona uh, when he was like 40, late 30s. Hold on. He won it a bunch of times. Need a sip of water. And his training method. Uh, this is after he already got good. You got to remember that. People are like, how did you get so great? And then they tell you their training method. Well, they didn't tell you about all the years they spent getting great. Now they're just maintaining, which is different. But only work out when you're going to improve. Because recovery is actually the most important thing. And if he started working out and his numbers were worse, he just quit. <laughs> Come back another day. And then every workout, you're getting better and better and better. It was, it's actually a really cool method. Anyways, his name's Sammy, S-A-M-I or S-A-M-M-I. Inkinen, I-N-K-I-N, Inkinen, yeah, Ian. And anyway, Google him, he's a trip. One of these super smart guys. Uh, then, so last night my swim was kind of, my swim, my bike ride was kind of crap. So I cut it short at 45 minutes in because I was starting to struggle to keep the pace. And I thought, that's a sign you just need to uh, cash it in. And I did and had a crappy night's sleep. And then in the morning, this morning, woke up and decided to just swim without using my beep timer to keep a pace. Because trying to keep a pace, if you start struggling, is uh, frustrating and leads to overtraining. You're trying to keep the same numbers as before when your body's not capable of it. So then you you overreach and you do that time after time and dig yourself in a hole. I've done this. So I speak from experience. Hey, there's my buddy way up ahead of me. Two cars up. He drives a Ford F-350 crew cab dually four-wheel drive <laughs> as his daily driver oh my gosh and anyway diesel the uh without the beep timer i just swam and i counted strokes and i tried to maintain a nice stroke count i know for me between seven and eight strokes on one side on my right side is uh is casual gliding effort and it's but it's fast and uh, that means I'm swimming efficiently if I'm crossing the pool seven strokes on one side eight seven on my right eight on my left then um, that's a that's an efficient technique and then because I'm not trying to keep a clock pace I um, am able to swim, and if you do this, you are able to swim by uh, effort, which is way different. Uh, after a while, after a lot of long distance training, you start catching on to the, uh, the methods where you're training your body, not the clock. So listen to what your body's doing. You learn to feel what your body's doing and then train that. And so you search, you, you search, search your feelings, Luke. <laughs> you know this to be true. The uh, a nice breathing pattern, uh, just a little bit of 
uh, muscle strain because you're gonna go. I, I do this for an hour because after an hour, you know that builds up. So learning to pace yourself, and then if you happen to have like a little bit left over at the end, like you went too slow, then you know maybe throw in a little sprint. But I, I timed this one really, really well and had a really good swim workout. And then there was this guy uh, in the locker room that said, "Dude." how many laps do you swim when you swim? And we sat down and did the math. And um, I know I knew that I'd swam 4,200 yards because my watch showed when I was done that in just under an hour, I swam 4,200 yards. So it was a 125 pace per 100 yards. But we did the math. And if a lap is actually a length, like just swim across the pool, then... Uh, I did 168 lengths. <laughs> He's like, God damn, man. How do you do that? And I was like, well, I've learned over the years just to pace myself and uh, swim. As if I start swimming too hard, then back off and then, and then count strokes so that I'm efficient. And over the years, um, I can swim like that uh, kind of easy. And he goes... Well, you're not slow. I want to let you know that. You're not swimming slow. That's fast. And I said, oh, thanks, man. So then we talked about other stuff, which was cool. And let's see. Uh, last night, though, on the bike ride, I did have a, a moment of realization. That is a cool training tip for biking. Now we're done talking about swimming. And it has to do with uh, lactic acid. Um there's that saying that I came up with lactic acid is fuel. They just found out. And, uh, when you run out of, uh, or you're running low on blood sugar or body fat or whatever it is, and you start to, um, need extra fuel, your body creates a secondary fuel or tertiary and it's uh, lactic acid. Um, and it's, it serves two purposes, I think. One is it's a um, it's a fuel, an extra fuel that your body's kind of borrowing. And two, it sends a signal. It kind of burns a little bit or a lot sometimes. Um, it sends a signal that you are redlining and to be careful, which is great. But uh, psychologically, we have triggers where if it starts to hurt, um, we back off. And also, when you don't actually need to, and then also, you um, your body over time uh, gets better at burning that lactic acid as fuel. So it now it's not anywhere near as precarious. But you have to train with lactic acid for your body to get used to it to actually burn it for uh, for you to improve using it. And I was doing this little trick last night on the bike, uh, pedaling nonstop. You pedal uphill and your legs start to burn. So a lot of us coast down the other side because our legs are burning and it hurt. It hurt going up and now you can coast to go down the other side. And I thought, no, <laughs> this is my sadistic self. <laughs> This is Marine Corps military school coming in. No, keep pedaling. Pedal down the other side and it burns. And what's happening is uh, by pedaling, 
uh, on the downhill, even though your legs are burning, you're training your body to use that lactic acid, but in kind of a uh, error, error free environment, you don't have to push all that hard, um, at all on downhill, just spinning your legs is something uses your muscles and it, and it hurts and it burns, but it's not going to, it's really not going to penalize you and it's not gonna make you any faster. You're not really burning any calories per se. Uh, it's like the perfect time to practice using that lactic acid and getting used to it. And I found that after a while, uh, the first time I did it, like psychologically, I was like, oh no, this is terrible. This is going to be so bad. This is dumb. And then after a while, after like the fifth hill or something, I was like, gosh, my fear of that my legs were going to shatter uh, did not come true. I can actually do this. And so I had a, and so you can imagine in a race now, um, when you need to push yourself at the end, but you start normally, normal person would be like, oh, my legs are, my legs hurt. I need to back off. Right. But because you've done this in training, you would say, no, like, uh, I'll be fine. Let's go. It's just lactic acid. It's um, it's a signal, but it's not the end of the world. They say uh, it, your body sends all kinds of signals to try to tell you to stop before you actually need to, and you shouldn't listen to them all the time. And they said, for example, let's say you ran, and you ran and ran and ran, and say really fast, say like a 5K, and then you you nearly collapse at the finish line. You can't run another step. You ran so hard. And, uh, so your body sent all these signals that you have to stop right now or else you will die. Right? So you stop and then you stand there and catch your breath, uh, for a minute. And then you start walking around and you could even start running again. And, uh, they do this with, uh, intervals on the bike. They've, this is a lot of the testing. They'll have people do, uh, hard intervals on the bike and they say, okay, this is your last interval, you know, give it everything you got. And so the person will give it everything that they got. And then they go, oh, we're just kidding. <laughs> go easy for uh, a minute and we're going to do one more interval. And then that next interval, they're able to almost match, match or surpass the interval they just did before. But that doesn't make sense because their brain gave all these signals that there was nothing left. And But there is something left. Uh, you just your body was protecting you from actually using it. If there was nothing left, you wouldn't be able to do anything until somebody poured food and water into your mouth and you rested for a while. But that's not what you do. You actually, you kind of just walk it off a little bit and, uh, and then you can go again. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, that's it for this morning. There's a coworker driving. Let's uh, see what we can get done at W to the ERK. Oh, uh, another training tip. I, uh, we've got a coworker that's leaving, so we're going to do an after work party, which is going to include alcohol. And instead of saying, Oh, I guess I can't work out tonight. Um, I brought my run stuff to work and I'm going to run at work. Right. It's that extra little effort. So yesterday I made a packing list, uh, so I wouldn't forget anything. And then today I uh, just checked off everything on the list. I think <laughs> We'll find out when I actually try to run if I got everything or not. And uh, check the weather and everything. It's going to be a nice day. So I might actually get in a good run. All right, out, bang.
All right, I just finished a lunch run, the lunch run I was talking about, and had a really interesting observation. A mad calf is where your calf tightens up. And when you get older, it tends to be like a really bad problem that doesn't seem to go away. It takes years to get rid of. I think that's what I got left. Anyway, I forgot to sleep in my boot last night, so my foot hurt a little bit walking this morning. And then when I started running here at lunch, um, it was flat and then a gradual incline. And at first, and because I wasn't warmed up and stretched out enough, and because I didn't sleep in that boot to uh, stretch everything out at night, I um, my calf started tightening up and, and it was painful. trying to stand in the wind so I can cool down. There's a lot of wind today. Um, The wind's out of the south, so here in Texas, that means it's going to be warm pretty soon. And then I think what it was doing is, is it was tightening up. It was pulling the injured, sore, inflamed part of my tendon down under my heel bone, and under my heel started to hurt. I was like, yep, starting to connect some more dots. And then I said, okay, well, stop running, take a break for a second, and stretch a little bit. And um, start running again after, after it calms down. And it did. It calmed down, and I started running again, and it went away. So it seems like it's a uh, like an overreaction. Uh, there's something very similar uh, if you run outside in the cold and you have asthma, the shock of the cold air, if you go from warm, humid air to cold, dry air really quickly, uh, you could have an asthma attack, start coughing and hacking. And to do that, what people do is um, they wear like a bandana or something over their mouth. So for a while, they're still breathing humid, warm air because it's recirculating a little bit of that humid warmth instead of you just putting it out into the atmosphere long enough for you to warm up so if you have that problem that's the trick and I'm like I'm like I wonder if this uh, mad calf is similar like running too fast too upslope too quick uh, causes the reaction and then it tightens up and stopping to stretch it and let it uh, calm down for a second because uh, it's trying to warm up uh, let it catch up I guess a little bit and it worked. The rest of my run was like really great. No more, uh, that's the thing is after I did that one brief little stretch, no more calf pain, tightness, no more heel pain. It's really, really cool. Figure that out. All right, I was also wanted to record something to talk to uh, take a minute so I can cool down before I change back into my work clothes for the rest of the day. Out, bang. All right, I'm back. Got a little bit of triathlon news. And also um, a little moment of zen that I've been applying lately. So I guess we'll do the uh, news first. I saw that there was a lot of conversation going on about um, switching worlds in Zwift. 
Um, while Zwift has, I don't know, five different quote-unquote worlds to train in, I managed to get behind a dump truck that's <laughs> probably full of rocks. Try to get around them. There we go. While Zwift has like five different worlds, there's no easy way to pick which world you want to ride in uh, when you boot it up. So there's a hack. There's two hacks. One, you can go in by hand into a preferences file using like Notepad Editor and change a setting by hand. And then it'll always open whatever world you want. And then also, and you can look both of these up. There's uh, another one where you can get a program and it does kind of that same thing, but it gives it a, a nicer interface where you can do a bunch of different settings and edit them and save it. And then when Swift boots up, it reads that file and it does, does those settings instead of the default. And I've been doing that forever. Uh, I like riding Watopia, the big island, uh, more than anything. And I don't really want to ride anything else uh, most of the time. And a lot of people complain that uh, there's one route that's on the calendar. You just have to ride that, that day, you know, like what they put on there. Um, Innsbruck, is that how you say it? Uh, but the course in Germany, which is beautiful, it's also, it's got apparently like zero flat in it. And if you have a smart trainer and you get on that thing, well, then you're forced to ride hills when you don't want to. For example, that's one of the biggest complaints I read. But uh, Zwift announced that uh, this winter, like maybe around Christmas time, December, they're going to allow you to, they think it's going to be something like uh, Watopia is your default. And if you want to switch to not you won't have the choice of all the other worlds but uh one or two or three of the other worlds or something like that uh which will rotate out um it won't always be the same ones and stuff and uh that you'll have those and yeah so there's that so that's a big yay that um because i ride Watopia on, on days when it's not the official day and it's dead which i kind of like sometimes a hundred riders in the whole place instead of, you know, 8,000 or whatever. <laughs> uh, then the other piece of news I came across was DC Rainmaker's website. Uh, you can just Google it, but it's like dcrainmaker.com blog or something like that. Uh, he does tons and tons of reviews of, of sports equipment, electronic stuff, especially triathlon. And uh, he posted a link to the report that Strava made of their uh, their analytics for the year their meta their their big data deep dive and some reports that they generated on some interesting statistics one interesting statistic is uh, cyclists are five times more likely to drink coffee after a ride than runners are and then also runners actually prefer a beer after a workout and I was thinking about it and then it hit me uh, I was talking with somebody else I said why do you think that is and they said oh they had, they had a they had a decent reason and and then it hit me I was like I bet one major reason is 
Um, riding a bike, if the we- if the weather's cool or cold, is very cold, and you want to he- want to warm up. The difference between these two drinks is beers are cold, and coffees are hot. So maybe it's not so much, quite so much about what's in the cup, but it's the temperature of the cup, <laughs> of what's in the cup, when you come to think about it, and. Uh, you know, a warm cup of coffee will will um, heat you up, and you really don't think that much about like warm alcoholic drinks. They're usually cold. Now that I think about it, and uh, running, I ran this morning or the other morning, and it was it was cold. But by the end of the run, I was burning up, man. A, a cold beer tasted great. I liked it. So there's a that. <laughs> And they do like a ton of stuff on gender, gender in the United States versus the rest of the world. You know, I didn't notice, but maybe maybe a whole bunch of age stuff. Um, it's a really cool report, so you can go check that out on dcrandmaker.com. Okay, so your moment of zen is that um, I've got a coworker that's leaving, and I'm in charge of, of replacing her, finding her replacement, and there's somebody else that is uh, great for this job. They don't, and I'm trying to get them. And this has been going on for months <laughs> because I knew that I knew that this one person, person A, was going to leave like a long time ago. And so I've been working on getting person B. And then I have other people that are interested in the job and all that stuff. And um, it has been so full of twists and turns and weird um, events and situations and uh, everything from like the pay to the location to um, the qualifications to getting the job reclassified with more stuff, with less stuff. I mean, just like it's been crazy Uh, getting other people's approval um, up, down, sideways. It's nuts. And there's a Zen saying that uh, nothing is as you think it is, right? Because Zen is about um, Zen is, is trying to get you to directly experience reality. It's the territory versus the map, right? A map is not the real world. The real world is the real world. I heard that one the other day too. That was pretty. That's a really good saying that a lot of people know. Um, the map is the map is not the territory. You know, and there's another one. Like, if you see a bird in a tree doing something, and the manual about in the bird book says that that bird should be doing something else, believe the bird <laughs> because the bird is the truth. <laughs> so anyway, there's there's a saying that not not everything that you think is true, and not nothing will turn out exactly like you think it will. And I've learned that years ago, but I've really been watching that and watching it happen as this goes down. And it's really paying off that um, there's another one where it's like uh, guy falls off, a guy finds a horse and they're like, oh, you're so lucky. And then his son falls off the horse and they're like, oh, you're so unlucky. And each time the farmer keeps going, maybe, maybe, maybe yes, maybe no, maybe maybe you're right maybe you're not who knows and then you know the mil- they go to war and the military comes by to recruit his son 
and what's going he's definitely going to die if he has to go fight and but they they don't recruit him because he's got a broken leg and everybody's like well you're so lucky so there's all these ups and downs of you're lucky you're not lucky you're lucky <laughs> and you just you just don't know until it's all done and even after after when it's all done there's still stuff that happens afterwards so my um my situation is is watching all this it is it is wild watching how every time I think I know what's going to happen, um, it doesn't happen exactly that way. It happens sort of that way, but with a twist. And knowing that, uh, years ago, I wouldn't have, I would be like, dang it, why, is, why isn't it happening the way I want it to or the way I expected it to? And, um, but knowing this now, uh, before this all started going down, right? Because people would ask me, they go, so you're going to hire whatever person B uh, to replace person A? And I'd be like, maybe. I'm trying. We'll see how it turns out, right? And I would never used to say something like that. Uh, I would say, yep, it looks like that's going to happen, you know? And then I would be all disappointed if it didn't happen. And uh, But now I'm, I'm more like, well, we'll see, like the farmer. I'm like, I don't know. I'm trying. But there's so many variables in the world and I don't directly know what's going to happen and I can't directly experience, you can't, I can't directly put the experience into concepts and definitely say what's going to happen because it may not happen that way and what you think is going to happen, uh, even if it does happen, it, it happens like in a slightly, diff- a slightly different way than what you thought. Um, and that's, that's the way with everything. And so you kind of got to, you, you, you try, but you, you don't grip, grip too, uh, firmly. Um, there's a, a really good saying that I like, uh, that, um, if you grip the rope too tightly, you get rope burn. Cause that rope is going to move <laughs> at some point beyond what you can do beyond your control. It is going to slide. So it's like holding bicycle handlebars, you know, do you put on it? Do you put a death grip on them? No, that'll wear you out. And then if when they finally do get ripped out of your hand, they'll probably break your fingers. But you hold them loosely, kind of like a baseball bat, same thing, right? You hold it firm, but loose. And uh, just kind of see what happens. So that's that's what's been going on with me. I am going to sit down and have a sandwich and that's it for now all right i think we're about close to wrapping up this show we'll see what happens out bang all right homies getting in the zen try mobile studios about to drive w to the erk nice little swim this morning second time sorry choking (laughs) am i choking on a meta rx bar again god these things are terrible and there's my blinker i'm a little discombobulated today I told her, um, I pointed out how quickly your emotions can change. You know, if you get some good news, all of a sudden you're happy. You get some bad news, all of a sudden you're sad. So when you are sad, you know, experience it, feel it fully. But the trouble with being sad or depressed or whatever is you think it's never going to go away. And that's the end. That's why people kill themselves. They just think it's never, it's never going to end. There is no end of the tunnel. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. And that's not true. So you got to remind yourself 
that your emotions can flip on their head and at any minute um, you can uh, feel a whole lot better so don't dwell on it too much so on that note I went swimming and had a uh, kind of a half decent swim I um, to pump up my mood a little bit I put it on Pandora and put it on some upbeat songs and for example that helped a lot and also like I said before I've turned off the beeper uh, my timer so I'm not drilling myself to try to keep up so I've removed that stress and now I'm swimming more uh, like I'm it's like riding a bike with no bike computer It's a Zen ride a Zen bike ride um, all I had was oh I want to talk about that for a second uh, I started coaching another guy and I asked him you know right off the bat what kind of equipment do you got so I know uh, what we can use and he said he's got all this stuff, um, but actually he doesn't like, uh, he's kind of a minimalist and he doesn't like having too many numbers and stuff. And I said, I couldn't agree more that in my experience, what really seems to work is, hold on, I got to change lanes and I've got a, got a car situation going on here. What really seems to work is... Oh my gosh, there's a refrigerator on the... Well, that just fell off somebody's car. <clears throat> I thought I was going to run off the road there for a second. What really seems to work for me and for a lot of people because is to have devices and whatever on you running to record all the metrics, but then turn off the... Um, turn off the screens, the turn off all the data to keep you from trying to uh, train yourself into the ground following the data, following those numbers. Because you're always comparing against your best ever day, you know. Well, I'm riding at 220 watts. I'm riding at 250 watts. Well, that sucks because one time I rode at 260. Well, you're probably like souped up on caffeine and, uh, you know, when you recorded your best numbers and hadn't trained for three days, so you're like well-rested. So to go do that number again, to force yourself to try that number again, you're just going to wear yourself out worse and worse. And, <coughs> sorry, a good training tip is uh, when somebody says, you know, that they don't like having all these numbers and so they don't have any of the equipment at all to record the numbers, don't believe that. That is actually not wise. Uh, what is wise is over time, because it costs money and stuff, so don't like kill yourself over it, but over time, acquire, that's the word I was looking for, acquire the devices and all that to record things like your heart rate and your watts, miles per hour, all that, minutes per mile, cadence, you know, your laps swimming. And yeah, you know, like play around with the numbers for a while, but record all that stuff while you're working out always 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 but then when you're actually training make sure you don't have it's like like running it's really dangerous to have on the screen of your the the main screen of your watch your minutes per mile pace your average right and even your current maybe i have neither of those i have my time and my miles and then every mile, 
um, when it does a lap, it puts up on the screen my pace, average and current uh, mile, uh, last mile, average overall my last mile. I only get to see it for a second, and then it's gone, and then I kind of don't remember. So it's like I'm checking. Um, and then uh, <laughs> there's a saying in Zen, you know, is your response to stuff, the more Zen you get, your response to issues that pop up is, oh, that's interesting. You know, and it works. It's like uh, instead of developing a strong opinion about it. So you're used to riding 200 watts, and you notice that that your average lately is 180. So instead of going, "Oh my gosh, I gotta go faster" or whatever, you say, "That's interesting." And because you're already in the moment, you really can't do much about it right now, and. If you're trying, if and what you do is you compare your feelings. Like, am I trying hard? Yeah, and all this other stuff. So, um, some, so something's off. And then you kind, of, you kind of wonder. I go, I wonder what's off right now. Oh yeah, I didn't sleep so well. Okay, so this all starts to make sense. And another one, I remember Rich Roll talking about it a lot. You go and do your workout, and then sit down when you're done with your workout and look at all the numbers. That's fun. That's the time to do it. Is you go, oh, when I was going up this hill. Because you can see that in all the metrics and training peaks. When I was going up this hill, my cadence was this and my heart rate was this. And Oh, about two hours in, look at me, I blew up. I thought maybe I was blowing up and yep, I blew up right two hours in. Um, it's that whole thing of holding something loosely, you know. Uh, if, you, if you try to train the numbers exactly during your workout all the time, then you're, you're gripping the rope too tightly if you never look at your numbers, then you're not you're you're riding your bike uh, with no handlebars. I ride my bike with no handlebars, and um, you're gonna crash, or you're just not gonna you're not gonna improve much, if at all. And uh, so the uh, middle path, which is Buddhist, is uh, check on your numbers on occasion, and then as you see them, go, hmm, that's interesting. Because honestly, just knowing your numbers is huge that's almost enough to know that's almost enough on it on its own to um to change you and improve you uh not to monitor not to burn your eyeballs staring at your bike computer uh there was something um my mom was a college counselor and all this stuff and when i was having bad grades she kept telling me and then finally i did it there's a I think there was probably five ways, but two ways to get A's is um, one, sit in the front row. To your front row, don't miss class, and sit in the front row. And what it, the reasoning behind this was: students that sit in the front row almost always have A's. So sit in the front row, and you'll get an A. <laughs> and it's because you actually have more interaction with the teacher, and you're not slacking off in the back of the room because. And all you do is the very beginning of the school year, you sit in the front row. You, that's where you pick your seat. And she said, actually, the front two rows, but, and then down the middle a little bit. And that's also where the teacher teaches to the most. They teach to the front row and kind of down the middle. People in the back and in the corners, they kind of, the teachers tend to ignore and don't engage with as well. And then the other one was know your, know your grades on stuff. So if somebody asks you, what did you get on this? People that have bad grades, if you ask them, 
you know, what did you get on the midterm? They'll go, oh, I don't know. And if they go, if you go, what did you get on your last, what did you get on your spelling test like two spelling tests ago? I go, uh, I don't remember, right? That's a sign you don't care enough. So you need to know your grades. And to me, that's a lot like with training peaks uh, and your train, whatever training system you use. But uh, when you train to have um, your total hours, right? You need to know your total hours per week and maybe your miles, kind of, you know, one or the other. But if you keep on top of that more than anything, and maybe how many workouts you did hard versus how many easy, you know, like I did one hard swim or I did, uh, really it's minutes going hard. How many minutes, you know, uh, I did uh, 20 minutes of hard on this day and I did two on that day. And, I, you know, if you're just kind of familiar with it, that's actually enough because those are the important things. And then if you pay attention to those things, you'll notice the pattern if you actually start to fade. All right. Well, that's it. I got to go into W to the E-R-K. I'll talk to you in a bit. Out, bang. All right. It is a Monday morning, leaving the pool, getting into Zentri Mobile Studios. But we're not going to talk about swimming this morning, except use your tendons, not your muscles. Anyway, I'll talk about that on a future podcast. I got a bunch of little things. We've got totals for the week. And we'll do that in just a second. We've got a couple of uh, messages and emails. Got three of them actually from people that were pretty cool. One is from uh, somebody messaged me on Instagram. And it takes me forever to realize I've got a message in Instagram. (laughs) So sorry for being uh, slow on that. And uh, it's a... uh, it's a guy who's a truck driver and he really is inspired by uh, Zen and Yard of Triathlon and other podcasts, I'm sure, too, on how to do this awesome stuff. And one, he wants to record while he was driving his truck and was asking about a lavalier mic, which I suggest. And then the other is he says he wants to do an Ultraman someday. And he's setting his goal to do that. And I thought I would give real quick the uh, few things that I thought were critical for doing an Ultraman besides the obvious, besides getting in really, really good shape. Um, one is you need to start eating and drinking uh, immediately after each day. So it's three days long. So after... Uh, day one, don't sit around, start eating and drinking a ton of food every day because Ultraman is all about how well can you recover. It's basically a stage race. So the better you recover, the longer you're going to last on day two and then day three. So every day, as soon as you finish, weigh yourself. That's another one. Weigh yourself and know your weight every day for months leading up to it know when you're dehydrated when you're not learn all that and then weigh yourself when you're finished and try to get your weight back up for the next day and load up on carbs carbs load up on carbs uh, when you finish 
so that uh, the next morning when you wake up, you are refueled and hydrated and all that good stuff and ready to rock and roll. It really, it that actually makes more difference than anything else. Uh, another one is, I would say for the run, unless you're a really small person and really light and really thin, then try to schedule your first Ultraman so that the run is uh, in cool weather. Don't do it on a hot day. A double marathon on the third day is very, very, very painful. <laughs> and is the heat just makes it unbearable. Unbearable. Uh, so if you can schedule on a cooler day, you'll do better. A lot better. And also uh, your first Ultraman. Try to make it as easy of a course as possible and then work up from there. And there was a man, there's so much more. You want to have a motivational factor. Uh, mine is I wanted to be like a couple of my other friends that had already done them, and I was going to do this thing no matter what. Uh, so that uh, comes into play. Uh, another one is it's only you have 12 hours a day to do every part, so try to stretch it out. If you're worried about making the cutoffs, on, uh, on the run, for example, try to stretch it out day one, day two, so you don't wear yourself out too much. But there's a strategy. You don't want to stretch it out too much because then that cuts into your recovery time. I did mine day one and day two and went out and helped uh, mark the course, I think, for other people to do parts of it or something like that. I don't remember what I did, but it was dumb. <laughs> but in, the, in hindsight, it worked out, so it's okay. Uh, uh, another one is I would highly recommend doing some ultra running, ultra marathons before you're doing an Ultraman. So um, before I had done an Ultraman, I had already done, I don't know how many, uh, 50 mile trail runs, which are hard. So the Ultraman run is 52 point whatever miles, but it's on pavement, which is a lot easier than trail running. And I had already accomplished a whole bunch of trail runs and I even, I even done a hundred miler and then like a 56 or 60 mile trail run. Uh, went too hard on one of them and DNF'd. Um, like, so I had been, I knew what running on just smash legs felt like and that you could keep going. And then another one would be, um, uh, it's, it's fear of the unknown that makes you quit. You know, you're like, I don't know if I could take any more of this. And if you already know that you can take more of it, then uh, then you're not worried and you seem fearless. But really, you're just like comparing to uh, what you already know. Um, one of the reasons I really enjoy doing all this really, really hard stuff is I went to a Marine Corps military school as a kid and they pushed us to the absolute limit of what beyond because they won't let you quit they push you beyond your edge and break you over and over and over again and then make you do more and and then they also make you uh, responsible for yourself self-sustaining everything you earn is a privilege everything you have you earned and everything you earned is a privilege it could be taken away at any minute so um when you're like oh my legs hurt i don't know if i can go any farther you're like <laughs> compare it to that to that one time you're like no i can keep going and so that's that's really handy and that's why if you do some ultra running 
um, and then you can compare. You're like, oh, yeah, I can. I know I can keep going. You know, and, it, and you don't have to do races. I guess you could do over distance and um, you know, and training or something like that. And then another one is well, backup bikes and backup gear. And then another one is um, run, walk the marathon. That is uh, crucial. Learn to walk the uphills, uh, run the flats, uh, be careful on the downhills if they start to hurt, and um, mix in walking breaks, usually on the uphills, as you go. And um, you will be able to go a lot farther, a lot faster if you start doing that right from the beginning. Like, start off walking on day three, start off walking the uh, the first uh, two, three minutes before you even start running. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Anyway, okay, so there's all that. Let's see, totals for the week. Um, hmm. Oh yeah, I did uh, 13 hours and 15 minutes last week, which is pretty good. Um, I'm in like perpetual somewhere between half Ironman and Ironman training, like in this no man's land. Because Ironman just takes all the time in the world. Half Ironman you can actually train for and live your life uh, not too badly. And um, so I'm somewhere in between. And I looked at my totals. Let me try to remember. I swam uh, 12,225 yards in three swims. So just over 4,000 yards per swim. I biked like four times, I think it was 116 miles. Oh, Saturday afternoon, I biked with Kai on road bikes just around the neighborhood, did about an hour and a half. That was pretty cool. Well, around the countryside too. And then running, I ran four times, maybe five times, but for a total of, uh, I've increased my total just a little bit. My foot started feeling a lot better. So I increased my total and um, about a few miles. So 32.8 miles. I would say average pace around nine and a half minute mile. But 32 miles for the week, you know, on top of everything else is uh, pretty nice. Uh, probably average watts for bike riding is uh, 245, 250, no, probably 250 something. So those are uh, pretty good. And yeah, I could tell by the uh, end of the week. Also, yeah, increased the distance on my run just a little bit Saturday and Sunday. And actually was going faster. My time on my running started increasing without any extra effort. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So what am I, you know, start making notes. What are you doing right? (laughs) And I was like, that is great. And... um, so seven miles instead of 6.2, 6.4, uh, Saturday and Sunday. And, but I could tell though that those additional miles, that additional time on my feet started making my feet hurt a little bit cause it was relatively new, uh, doing that, that all at once. And, um, I could tell I'm done, done for the week. And uh, and then I need a day off and that's what I've got. So today, um, no running, no biking, just uh, a little bit of swimming. Swam this morning, just kind of easy glide. 
and we'll talk about that a little bit later because we have a couple emails and a uh, news um, announcement of an upcoming event that I want to get to so we can wrap up the show. All right, out, bang. I almost forgot to mention our friend, the uh, truck driver that wants to do an Ultraman, he mentioned in his message to me that one thing one thing he really likes about the podcast is how I talk to people like they're a friend. And if you're on the other end of this podcast, if you're a listener, it sounds like you're on a phone call. <laughs> it's what I get a lot of times from people with a buddy just talking about triathlon. And I get that a lot from uh, people sending in notes about what they like about the podcast. And I think that that's really neat. I'm glad I wasn't planning on that. And that's the way it is. And uh, that's pretty cool. So if you experience that too, uh, big thumbs up. I like doing that. All right. We have a bit of upcoming event news with Tim Floyd from Magnolia Masters, which is a swim club, I guess. It's a coaching program. Sorry, I got interrupted there. Magnolia Masters is out of the woodlands, which is far north, northwest Houston. And Houston is a powerhouse location for swimming. Uh, they generate people that go to Stanford, UT, all that good stuff. And the uh, Magnolia Masters program is the top program that I've heard of and in my mind for generating top swimmers in triathlon and taking swimmers taking people that aren't very good swimmers and turning them into triathlon swimmers and then also taking people that are swim team swimmers and fixing them <laughs> into endurance uh, triathlon swimmers. Uh, he works on a, Tim Floyd is in charge of it and he works with a lot of pros. You see it all the time. Uh, Jocelyn McCauley is going to be down there. And there is so much. I, I definitely agree. There is an entire school and industry that can be built around converting either non-swimmers or or regular swim team swimmers into triathlon swimmers it's that different of how to swim open water you know uh one mile 1.2 2.4 miles and how to actually combine that all with um triathlon training and what's actually important and what's not i had to fix myself over a few years and uh it's just top notch top notch program Anyway, I got a message from him that they are putting on a swim camp in January. And they're going to do a lot of focus on, on uh, being in the zone and flow and, and neuromuscular stuff. And uh, he invited me to drop in and come say hi. So I'm putting that on my calendar for sure. I'm very excited about going and doing that. So I don't know if it's open to more people, but at least be looking for content on the podcast, uh, mid early January, 2019, as far as swimming tips and advice from, uh, Tim and also, uh, there'll probably be a bunch of badass pros there too, getting fixed over the winter. So we have that. And then we have a couple of emails. Let's see. I did a beer review an IPA India pale ale review, uh, last show and Lars minor sent me a note that he got accepted on Zoot's age grouper team. He's super excited about that. And then on the beer, uh, the Deschutes IPA review I did, 
Um, talking about dextrose maltodextrin for fuel and long-distance workouts, you'll get a kick out of this. Now I'm reading his email. This homebrewed pineapple IPA is made with a domesticated Belgian wild yeast called Bretonomyces. I think. <laughs> Anyways, Brett for short. This is what it goes by. This particular yeast devours ferments maltodextrin like crazy. <laughs> Sounds like me. And is used to feed it. Anyways, see below. It's a hazy, juicy IPA uh, loaded up with actual pineapple. Anyway, literally a Brett maltodextrin IPA and awesome after a long run, like drinking beer juice. So I got to try this. Uh, who makes it? He's got pictures of it. Nope, I don't have it. Um, who did I say it was? Oh, homebrewed. He made it himself. Pineapple IPA. Okay. Well, you know, I mentioned this to somebody else that was into IPAs and maltodextrin, your email, Lars. And uh, they said, yeah, they'd heard of that, that um, there was a, a Brett uh, maltodextrin. So you're not, you're not uh, crazy. This is a thing. And I'm just the one that's been left out of the loop. Who knew? And then also he's got... So I'm going to go searching for this anyway. Um, he's also got a new bike, and his pain cave is gorgeous. It is so awesome. Let's look at it for a second. Got a big screen TV, two fans, one next to the window to bring cold air in, I'm sure. And then uh, a Doretto, Dorito uh, trainer, elite Doretto. And his bike all set up. And, yeah, dude, it looks pro, man. I like it. Very clean. Very efficient. Let's see how long it stays that way before you have gear all over the place like I do. I end up messing with gear and then having to put it aside so I can actually get my workout in because I'm always crunched for time. And let's see. We have another email. Um, and it's to me and Triathlon Taron. And Triathlon Taron and I are buddies. I, I was one of his first guests on his podcast, and he uh, – I mentioned him a lot on shows because he does all these videos and um, we had a tie-in together for a while where I was promoting him and I really enjoyed it. T Taryn is a good guy and a good person to know. And uh, let's see, it's from Ben H. And Ben is writing in from, I guess, Sydney, but definitely Australia. And he's he spends a couple sentences in a paragraph talking about his history and then also all about how Taryn has helped him out. Well, I won't read that here because you can listen to Taryn's show for that, but because we got to get to the part where he talks about me. <laughs> but anyway, he says, uh, Brett, your approach to life is so inspirational. I've always been interested in Zen meditation and your blend of all this with long distance training and racing is amazing. I am looking forward to bringing up my kids being an active dad role model like yourself. Hearing the way you experiment with nutrition and fueling has been insightful to me. I started testing out different strategies and found pre-mixing my gels and electrolytes in a fuel bottle, a single bottle, uh, and then having a separate water bottle and using salt stick allowed me to almost double the calories and water I can take on without discomfort during the bike leg ready for the run. Yep. Good job, man. Uh, learning the refined training approaches and fueling strategies from both of you undoubtedly gave me great improvement in my last race. Training smart, fitting in quality, not just quantity. I am forever trying to find that family triathlon work balance that now makes every day worthwhile and special. I am happier, motivated, healthier, and more present husband. 
a better role model for my kids, and I thank you both for that. P.S. Here's a comparison photo, and then photos from the last race. Okay. Um, dude, you look awesome, man. You look uh, beforehand. Uh, oh, I've been in the same shoes, dude. Overweight, so I'm not being negative. I'm overweight, and then, you know, you're sitting on a he's, – he's at a tourist attraction, kind of sitting there with the, his little kid. And then next photo – Side by side is him racing uh, Ironman 70.3, I guess Sydney. And dude, you look badass. And the um, the bike photo that you sent me, it's from the side. Uh, let's look at your aerodynamics. I think your aerodynamics are spot on, actually. Like really spot on. Like really, really spot on. That's... um. The first things I look for is, are your knees close enough to your elbows? Yes. Are you low enough in the front without being too crunched? I'd say yes. Maybe you could tilt your hips a little bit more, rotate your hips forward a little bit more, and then open up your chest. Maybe, if you want to. That's kind of up to you. And then, that's hard to tell, you know, from here. And then um, the next thing I look for is, are, is the seat too high, and then you're extending your... Um, your feet too far downwards and i think no i think your feet your saddle if it is too high it's just barely or um it looks like it looks about right to me so your air position is spot on dude so very very cool very aerodynamic look um i had to look twice to realize that that is a road bike that's not a triathlon bike it is so aero with the aero wheels tri bars um, add on a uh, clip on and, and the uh, water bottle behind you. Sorry, I got interrupted again. Uh, you have um, very nice aero bottle set up behind your saddle. And then also on your frame, you've got one bottle on the down tube and it's an aero bottle. So you might even have something between the handlebars. It's hard for me to tell from here. Between the arms, I mean. So looking sharp, dude. Very, very sharp. And honestly, I mean, that's probably 90% of why I do uh, triathlons, long-distance triathlons myself, is to be in shape, to be fit, and uh, so that I can be a good dad, uh, both be a good dad and then also age gracefully <laughs> instead of just falling apart. It seems like the more I do with... Uh, with triathlon, there's a there's a sweet spot. You do too much and injure yourself, so you're a mess, which I did a few years ago. And trying to recover from that, I did a little bit too much. But um, there is definitely a sweet spot where you can do um, swim, bike, run, and throw in some weightlifting and whatever, and trail running and all that good stuff, and then be um, crazy fit. And your mood, your... Your mood, your attitude, your positivity, your fitness, everything just seems to be uh, ticking like a fine clock. Like just everything's just upbeat and great. And that's the world that I want to uh, share with everybody, especially being outdoors, like really helps a lot. You work a desk job, you're know, on a computer all day. I, I run a bunch outside specifically. I've noticed uh, to get in the trees and the green and it's a definite mood boost and it makes the world just way more positive and then you start getting more done and then better things start happening and then you get more done and better things start happening. It kind of gets out of control. <laughs> then people message you, they want you to come to their swim clinic. 
And uh, it's, uh, it's just great, man. So congratulations. And yeah, your photos look just totally, totally nice. Thanks. Thanks for sending it, Ben. That was really cool. All right. If you feel like you want to help support Zentry, then you can go to zentriathlon.com and there is uh, some links on the website. One is uh, you can support uh, real simply through PayPal. You can do a one-time donation or a recurring donation. If you do, you actually end up with my email and I'll... Uh, if you send me any questions or things like what I just read from Ben here, then or Lars, then um, I'll read them on the. Sh- I'll try to read them on the show. I usually do, and um, have a back and forth with you. And there's that. Let's see what else. Oh, we got a few sponsors. We got Salt Stick, and we've got Amrita Bars. So go check them out. And. And Rita Bars is actually, uh, I owe them a, uh, an email, and I just remember um, they're helping sponsor Kai. Kai's killing it. Uh, he was injured a little bit, but now he's back on it. And also, if you're looking for some coaching, send me an email. I'm texafornia at gmail.com, T-E-X-A-F-O-R-N-I-A, texafornia. I just picked up uh, one new coaching client last week, and I'm really excited about it. A guy out of the upper Midwest, and he's got all the gear so we can start training. And I already put him in the training peaks and started to get him some workouts. We're going to watch how he progresses over the next year or so. And it's really that easy. I get you signed up. It's uh, 200 bucks a month, but even though that costs a lot, it's actually you're getting somebody with just a ton of experience. It's pretty much seen it all. And also, the one year that I got coached changed my life. I would pay for it again and again and again uh, for that one year uh, without question because it just changed everything on how to train, how to balance your workouts so they don't conflict with each other and just have a second set of eyes. So again, it's Texafornia, T-E-X-A-F-O-R-N-I-A, 200 bucks a month. I think it's like 199 but 200 bucks a month for totally customized coaching where we put in your goals and then I look at your current hours and your current mileage and gradually increase you uh, to get you where you want to be and then when you run into all those problems like what do I do about this conflict what do I do about this pain here I'm tired there what food or what fuel or what bike part you know should I go should I buy an aero helmet or aero wheels uh, first with the uh, cash that I got I've I can just tell you all the answers to that. I've been through all of it myself uh, many times over, actually. So that's it. All right. I want everybody to stay safe out there. Stay tuned for the next episode. I think we'll talk about, if I remember, we'll talk about uh, muscles versus tendons, a really cool um, insight that I heard from a physiologist that I already knew, but he phrased it in a way and backed it up with some science that I want to share with everybody. So we'll put that in the next podcast and kind of see where we go from there. So stay safe, work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down out. Home.